Colossians chapter 3, we are moving through. We will actually finish this book next month, so it's now a race. What will happen first? We'll finish the book or Terry will actually get his surgery. (laughs) We'll see what happens. Now, reminder, so this is going to be very important, all right? I know you know this, but it bears repeating. This is a letter. Paul wrote this and sent this to them, and they would have read this out in one sitting. So you cannot read each section and forget everything that came before. So what I need you to do real quick is just remember everything we've covered over the last seven weeks. You got that? (laughs) Now, I don't even remember everything I've said for the last seven weeks, and I'm the one who said it. So in all seriousness, though, if if you get lost on something as we go through a letter, and even if you're just reading at home, stop for a second and think about, What has been the flow? What has been building? Because each point is not something that is unique unto itself. It is building upon the things that have come prior. And we'll go over some of that as we go through. Now, because you do not remember everything that we have covered in the last six, seven weeks, you ready? All right. Paul is grateful these people are in the kingdom. Paul is praying they will be strengthened. Paul is hopeful because they are redeemed in Christ, who is God. He covers that. As they remember all of that, they are to reject worldly philosophy. As they do that, they are then to reject worldly living. And as they do that is where we get to this week. Sound good? See, that was simple, right? Why why can't you guys do that? (laughs) I keep telling you, if nobody else has fun on a Sunday morning, I do. And again, that's all that matters in my mind. So here we go. All right, let's dive in. Verse 5. Therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. Now we're going to pause real quick. See, this is why I tell you you have to remember things before. Anytime you get a Bible verse that starts with a therefore, it is built upon something before it. So always be very wary of someone who tries to build an entire theology on a verse that begins with a therefore, especially if they haven't explained what the therefore is there for, okay? It's always one of your rules. So building upon what we covered last week, which is Colossians 3.3, or part of it, you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. This is the rejecting of worldly living because you have rejected worldly philosophy. So in other words, you have rejected worldly living because you have rejected worldly thinking because your heart has been changed by Christ. You know that equation we're always working on. That is the reality for the Colossians. And by the way, Paul doesn't come up with that idea out of thin air. Always remember that your Bible has continuity. It makes sense from beginning to end. You can find the same stuff in the New Testament as the Old Testament. Paul is saying the same stuff that Jesus is saying is the same stuff that Peter is saying is the same stuff that James is saying is the same stuff that Moses said. It it all works together. You just have to make sure you're reading properly. Luke 9. Jesus was saying to them all, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. So, consider the members of your earthly body is dead to immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. Okay, cool. That's easy, right? We'll get to that in a minute, but notice already there's a duality that is presented. Are you just dead? No, because if you were dead, what would you do? Yeah, you don't do a whole lot. You just, you just kind of lay there. This is why I've, I've told you this joke before. Cameron will ask me so often, you know, what kind of songs I want played at my funeral, and I always give her the same answer. I don't care. And the only thing you need to worry about is if you pick music for my funeral, and during my funeral, I get up and complain. 
If that happens, you have something to worry about. If that doesn't happen, you did a good job. <laughs> if I had that ability, you know I would do that. Just, you know, just one last torment of her. Just, you know, that's <laughs> what she gets for marrying me. Don't nod your head, woman. <laughs> now, this is showing you a duality in Christian living. You are dead to the things of this world. We spent a little time on this last week. We'll expand on it. One of the companion letters that would have been written at the same time is Ephesians. So go to things like Ephesians 2. God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. That is the work that God has done for his people. That is the work that God has done for the Colossians. That is the work that Paul is explaining and building upon and hoping in. Never forget this as you encounter this sinful world. If you try to give Christian instruction to non-believers, they're just going to look at you like you're trying to put leaded gasoline in a battery. Okay? <laughs> it's not going to work. It doesn't function in any shape, form, or fashion. It's, it's, like, giving, it's like giving your grandchildren an 8-track. <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> Every once in a while, we try to... Oh, what were we trying to explain this week? Oh, we had to explain house phones to our kids this week. <laughs> yeah, the concept that there was a, there was a phone. Because unless you were rich, then you had two. <laughs> But there was a phone, and it was attached to the wall, and then it was attached to the cord, and there was a dial tone. The minds were just like, might as well have been explaining the Stone Age. You know, it was like one step above smoke signals in the backyard to them. That's what Christian instruction to non-Christians looks like. This is one of the frustrations we have as believers in the world, is we go out and we go, do this! And they go, why? Because it works! No, it doesn't. That couldn't possibly be it. Get away, you, you weirdos, you, you fundamentalists. Run away. They're not going to get it. Remember the equation that's done here. The Colossians are, are receiving this instruction because they have rejected worldly thinking. They have rejected, I'm sorry, because they've rejected worldly, worldly living. They have rejected worldly living because they have already rejected worldly thinking. And they have only done that because Christ, who is God, has redeemed them and changed who they are so that they can now be anchored to the truth and live rightly in this world. So all of that to say, you Christian live in a dual thinking right now. You are dead and yet you are alive. So you used to be dead dead. You will be alive alive. Right now you are dead and alive. You are dead to the things of this world, alive to Christ, alive to the things of the Spirit. What would that look like? It looks like things like Romans 8. So then, brethren, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, and you will live, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. Now, that is not a one-to-one -one equation that says, do this so that you won't die. You're doing this because you will not die. This is, again, the problem we get. We go out into the world and say, hey, live like this. We don't want to. But, 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 but if you don't stop living like that, judgment awaits. And that's true. But can they just go, okay, you're, you're right. We're, we're good. We're done now. We won't do that anymore. No, they, they can't. How has that worked out for you with the Holy Spirit? <laughs> 
<laughs> I can, that's the best part of my job is that when I ask a question like that, you should see some of the faces I get. Because <laughs> some of you are just like, some of you don't hide it very well. Don't ever take up poker. Because <laughs> some, some of you look at your cards and be like, oh, oh they got a bad one. <laughs> Play against that person. I encourage you with that because if you struggle and you have difficulty with the benefit and the aid and the teaching and the encouragement and the pushing forward and the accomplishment of the Holy Spirit, then what does it look like without all of that? Yeah, exactly. So remember, you don't attack the life, you attack the heart. You change the heart, change the spirit, renews the mind, and carries things forward. Now, because that has already been done to you, you understand the truth, which is at the end of this verse. You're dead to all of those things because they amount to idolatry. Always, always, always remember the source of your life, Christian. 1 Corinthians 8, concerning the eating of things sacrificed to idols, we know that there is no such thing as an idol in the world and that there is no God but one. This is why Jesus can tell you that apart from him, you can do nothing. And by the way, without him, that was that, all the singing we were doing, trying to come up with the name of the stupid song. The name of the song was without him. I know none of you know what I'm talking about because you don't remember, but <laughs> Cameron was in the balcony trying to get to, we sang the line 27 times. The name of the song is without him. So aren't we brilliant people? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we forgot the fundamental rule of all hymns, which is like 90% of them. The name of the song is the first line. <laughs> They weren't real clever with the naming of things. What do we call this? I don't know. What did we sing first? We sang without him first. Well, that's the name. We're done here. No time for naming songs. No time for coming up with anything clever. No hyphenations. We're just whatever we sang, that's what it's called. So the truth of that holds. If you are disconnected from the vine, what will you produce? Nothing. You are disconnected from Christ. You will have and produce nothing. Now, let's have some fun because this is why this is so important. Deuteronomy 32. I'm reading it from Deuteronomy. Paul quotes it in 1 Corinthians 10. They made him jealous with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons who were not God, to gods whom they have not known, new gods who came lately whom your fathers did not dread. See, I always love doing this to people because it, Makes them have to think, and I like that. So 1 Corinthians 8, Paul tells you that idols are nothing and there is no power behind them. 1 Corinthians 10 tells you that the power behind idols is demons. Paul, pick one. (laughs) So does that mean Paul forgot what he wrote two chapters before? No. It means what? Christian. As you are rooted in Christ, as Colossians 2 would have told you, as you are being built up in him, what power is there from the demonic realm? None. So what power is behind that idol? None, because you have overcome, because Christ has overcome. However, if you are of the world and your friends are in the world and everyone you see around you is living unto the world and following after that idol, what power are they following after? That evil power, that lie of sin, that entrapment. It's a recognition that while the power may be real, you do not have to bow to it. You can actually rest in the completed works of Christ. You can actually go to war against your sin and actually have victory because Christ has overcome. And this is part of that encouragement that I'm always giving you guys. We rejoice in the battle. Like we would love to start here and 20 minutes from now be 10 miles down the road. Wouldn't that be great? That'd be awesome, right? However, if we've taken two steps, what should we do? Celebrate. 
We've made progress. We have moved in that direction. You have to start thinking of the Christian life not as a road trip where everything works, but you have to think of it like a road trip in which um, John Candy and Chevy Chase are involved. Okay? <laughs> yeah, that's the Christian life. It's plain trains and automobiles. Nothing goes right. The wheels will fall off at any movement. As long as we are farther now than we were 10 minutes ago, win, win. <laughs> Get that movie out of your head. <laughs> Wrong. That's right. Who's it? No, isn't, isn't John Candy in Planes, Trains, and Automobiles? Yeah. It's Steve Martin. Yeah, but, John Can- but Chevy Chase is in, um, which one's he in? Yeah, Vacation. See, that's why I'm, I'm crossing my movies. I, I, I know I've got, it's like going to the Christmas tree. You landed at the Christmas tree lot. You've literally landed at the Christmas tree lot. <laughs> So yeah, I know what I'm doing most of the time. (laughs) Now I want to make a bad joke and I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to behave myself. I'm going to behave myself. (laughs) I always, I remember playing Strange and Ambulance because we've used that so many times because I forever tell you the world looks at you and says what? You're going the wrong way. And how do they know which way we're going? That line has a lot of truth to it. Now, hang on. Now, with all of that said, as you celebrate those small victories, recognize then, though, that you are still having the battle day by day. So, let's move forward from five to six. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. That's one of those duh passages, passages if you have read anywhere in your Bible. I always like to go back to Genesis 6, before the flood. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great upon the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's an indictment, isn't it? And by the way, realize that the silly example that we always use are things like, you know, not everyone is so evil that they're incapable of anything good. So the the bad example is even Hitler didn't kill his own mother. But realize when we talk about the depravity of humanity and the thoughts of your heart being evil, what ends up happening most of the time in this world is even when we do a good thing, we do it for a terrible reason. (laughs) Like there is very little true altruism in the world apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. There is very little good for the sake of good. And if you want a great example of that, the, um, the ASPCA commercials with Sarah McLaughlin's music in the background. If there was real altruism, they would say what? You are powerful, and you have the ability to change the lives of critters on this planet. So give us some money so that we can change the lives and do good things for these animals. And if they did that campaign, how many people would give them money? Be honest. How many people would really give them money? Basically nobody. So what do they do? They show you that dog shivering in the cold. The the only good thing about those commercials is I make Andre come in the room and show him how good he has it and what it could be like. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. I've actually done that. I've woken him up and said, look, look, look. See how good you got it? As he snores on the couch. (laughs) You think I'm kidding. The dog snores. It's terrible. (laughs) Now, what do they do that? They do that. They show you the shivering poodle out in the cold hooked up to a chain. In the arms of the angel. Why? So, so and then you'll send your credit card money in and, you know, next thing you know, you've given them money. Why? Because you're not good. And they know you're not good, and then humanity's not good, and they just said, this is bad, help us stop the bad thing. You would go, but I don't care about the bad thing. Oh, it's so sad. Now you'll give money. That's a window into the heart of humanity and a demonstration of just how broken we 
are, is we can look at something and say, that would probably be good to contribute to, but nah, I don't feel like it. I don't want to. Oh, but now I feel bad, which means I'm going to help you in your good cause so that I what? So now I feel better and I don't feel bad anymore, see? So my good deed was really about me. It's amazing how often that happens. Now, that's not just an Old Testament warning, and it's not just a Colossians warning. It's something that is repeated, Ephesians 5. Be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And this is again why you celebrate little steps, your daily battle being accomplished by God. Um, go back to another good Old Testament, Old Testament passage, Genesis chapter 4. You know it's a good day when you get all the way even before Noah. Abel on his part brought, an, brought of the firstlings of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and for his offering. But for Cain and for his offering he had no regard. So Cain became very angry and his countenance fell. Always notice that it's not just the offering, it's Cain is the problem. The, the people are the problem. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will not your countenance be lifted up? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is for you, but you must master it. See, you get, now don't get hung up and be like, see, see, Cain just needed to do better. Cain needed to change his heart, get in line with God, stop, 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 stop. You didn't want to bring a different offering. You didn't have the right heart when you brought this offering, and now you're upset that God has rejected this offering. Where is that problem? And at what, what level of you? Is that a surface-level problem? No. Now, can I change that? No, I really can't. I need who to change that? I need God to change that. This is one of those recurring themes of Scripture. Every time you see the failings of humanity, the answer shouldn't be, you people just need to do better. It's, you people need Jesus. <laughs> you need the son of the woman. You need the lion from the tribe of Judah. You need the king from the line of David. You need the prophet like Moses. God is forever pointing out to his people that you need and you need beyond you, you need God to accomplish. This is what your Bible is constantly pointing you to. To live in this world with the recognition that you don't have power. You don't have wisdom and authority, but Christ does. This is why I'm always telling you, have a Bible verse. Be able to justify who you are and what you are and why you are based upon Scripture, based upon the testimony of Christ. Because otherwise, you have found the areas where you think you're in charge. <laughs> what do we call that? When you, when you put someone or something other than God in the place that God is supposed to occupy. What's the big fancy theological term for that one? The idolatry. Now, when we find the idols, what do we get to do? <laughs> nah. <laughs> this is never not going to be fun to me, just so you know. Never in a million years am I going to not have fun with that. So. This is, but that's your daily war. That was Cain's battle. That was David's battle. That was Solomon's battle. That was Pharaoh's battle. That's humanity's battle, is the recognition that you have to die. You must be dead to this world, to the things of this world, so that you may be alive in Christ. You cannot 
Christ changes you. Which is again why I remind you to read this in context. Because if you just read this as it is, if you just started in Colossians 3.5, you'd be like, look at this list of rules and regulations that Paul has given to these people. But remember, this is a list of things for a people who have rejected worldly living because they have rejected worldly thinking because Christ who is God has changed them and redeemed them and grounded them upon the truth. This is our battle in the daily world is to recognize that that pull from the world is constant and it is powerful and it is damaging and we have to say no I am anchored I am rooted I am built up in Christ therefore I reject the things that this world is pulling me to and I war against these things and look walk out into the ocean against the current is that a fun little you know happy jog do you go miles at a time anybody ever jogged on a beach oh Half the fun of jogging on the beach is torturing yourself every so often when you get sweaty and you kind of veer off into the water and jog at about knee-deep water. That's good fast moving, isn't it? You'd start doing this little... (laughs) You laugh. You all look just like that when trying to run in knee-deep ocean water. (laughs) Because it's a slog. It's difficult. That's your Christian world. You're fighting a power that is powerful. I mean, when we think about what sin and idolatry does, it has enslaved all of humanity. Is that nothing? Like, is that just, oh, yeah, yeah, no biggie, you just enslaved humanity. It's Tuesday, it'll be fine. (laughs) That's a lot of power. That's a lot to war against. This is why we struggle in this world, because it's not just a slight pull. It's not just a gentle, occasional thing. It is a constant tugging and dragging. But by God's grace... And through his work and in his mercy, we will persevere. Therefore, you can do that weird ocean run because you know at the end of that is smooth, clear highway. And it leads to the king. Therefore, we celebrate the little bit of progress we've made now because we know that that is progress accomplished by, for, and in Christ. So we keep moving. Uh, Verse 7. And in them you also once walked. We know that. No one knows how bad of a person you are more than you, (laughs) which is why I tell you to be honest with you. Recognize who you are, because again, the lie of the world is to convince you that you're what? I mean, I've told you the joke before. I can still sing way too much Whitney Houston songs because they made me learn one for my kindergarten graduation. Yeah, we don't do indoctrination in schools at all, do we? You know, imagine dragging the five-year-olds out. I believe the children are future. <laughs> my, the, only thing that, the only thing good that came out of that is my kids still like the little stuffed animal I got when I graduated kindergarten. I still have him on my shelf. He's a little, little beagle dog with a little blue graduation cap. He's cute. He sits in my office. <laughs> Everyone's while dry out of grabs, and I'm like, be gentle with that. It's older than you. <laughs> but no, why, why that song for kindergartners? You know, that the greatest love is inside of me. (laughs) Yeah, that's not pride, selfish idolatry at all, is it? That couldn't possibly be a terrible thing to give children of the 80s. (laughs) What could possibly go wrong other than everything, other than the entirety of the world? But again, what does the world want to raise up for you? Anything other than God. Anything other than God. So be honest. Who are you? What are you? Why are you? Where are your struggles? Because now you know what the battle lines are. Now you know where they'll be drawn and you'll be able to see them before they tackle you. See them before the tires fall off so that you can make progress. So in them you too also once walked 
Talk about a fun sentence construction there. You would not do that if you wrote that in English first. That is, this is why I like the NASB, because it gives you all the weird sentence orders. When you were living in them. Ooh. Notice anything about that? Did you notice anything about that whole sentence? What's the tense of that sentence? Yes. When you were living in them. Titus chapter 3. We also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we, were made, we would be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. In other words, you are washed, you are cleansed, you are changed. Jesus puts it this way in John 8. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son does remain forever. So, if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Now again, remember, you were dead dead. You will be alive alive, but what are you now? You're a Bon Jovi, you're dead and alive. <laughs> Sorry. Some of, some of, <laughs> yeah. That's my first wow. <laughs> you see, you're all in there going, <laughs> you're welcome. See, if I think these things, you should have to think them too. That way at two o'clock in the morning when you roll over, you'll be like, why is there a Bon Jovi song stuck in my head? Oh, wait, now I know. <laughs> Because you laugh, but we, when I joked about that song without him, I kid you not, I sang that till Thursday. I'd be walking around, getting out of the shower, and like, why am I sitting here with a... Stop it! I don't even like this song. <laughs> it's what happens when your brain just can't focus on anything for more than a second. <laughs> because you are dead and alive, yes, you are free in the sun, but that freedom is a slog now, but it is a promise. It is a down payment of a future freedom that is unencumbered, that is rejoicing in the work of God, and that is free from the trappings and condemnations and difficulties of this world. In other words, again, what Colossians and Philippians are trying to point you to is the opposite of the trite little saying we've come up with in this world. So the, uh, the worldly Christians would like to give you the, don't be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. Realize, in order to be any earthly good, you best be heavenly minded. You'd best be focused on the things to come and the accomplishments that Christ will reveal. Otherwise, you know what that earthly good is actually going to build up? A whole lot of earthliness. The Bible would call it worldliness. A whole lot of things that are for the here and now where moth and rust destroy and devour. And that is not where we want our hope to be. That is not where we want our accomplishment and our work to be. So as we live in this place, we live here mindful of the world that is to come because that is who we are and where we are going. We are pilgrims, as Peter puts it, strangers and aliens in this world. Therefore, we live here cognizant of that, knowing that our home is being assembled. 
that there will be many rooms, that Christ will bring us into a good place and we will not get lost upon the way because he has secured us. That's how we live now. That's the rejection of this world and, they, and the hope of people who have, been, who have been redeemed out of this world. So, now what, Paul? Based on all of that, verse 8. But now also, put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech from your mouth. See, it's that simple. Just put it away. <laughs> Because none of you struggle with any of that, right? Not a one of you. <laughs> Five o'clock this morning, the dog starts whining at the back door. And because of where we live and the critters that live around us, he has been yapping at various things in our yard. I think I told you last week, we think he stopped a murder of a bunny by a fox. So at five o'clock, I have to go downstairs and figure out what exactly he's barking at. Turns out it was nothing today. But on the way back through the now dark living room, guess who walked right into the ottoman that is wood paneled on the side with his right shin? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's a wham. There was a wham, and then there was a word I can't repeat. Because <laughs> that was the first thought. <laughs> And then I moved the ottoman out of the walkway. So yeah, none of you would ever struggle with that, right? You would never have any anger issues or any abusive speech. None, none, none of you. You're all wonderful, saintly. You walk around, you would have hit your shins and been like, ah, blessed be the Lord for causing me to stumble in such a manner so that I may be refined by the fires in this world. Because, you know, whenever you speak like, you know, highfalutin Bible talk, you got to have a British accent, right? <laughs> it's one of the great joys of life, yeah. Yes, you would, have, you would have smacked your toe in your shin and been like, thank you, Lord, for counting me worthy of suffering this indignity so that I may be pruned of my sinfulness. <laughs> no, you'd have done the exact same thing I did, which is why we celebrate all the victories. Now, is this unique in the New Testament to give you this advice to tell you to put these things aside? No. Ephesians 4, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. 1 Peter 2, putting, all, putting aside all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, envy, and all slander, like newborn babies, long for the pure milk of the word so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. James 1, this you know, my beloved brethren, that everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Galatians 5. The deeds of the flesh are evident. Immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. So, you're all going, got it. Now what? See, the answer to how you accomplish all of that is either everything that is right with the church or everything that is wrong with the church. And what I mean by that is, hold on. My voice does not want to cooperate today. What I mean by that is, you have all heard at some point a sermon that has taken one of those injunctions and basically ended with, do better. Most annoyed I have ever been in a church service. Oh, see, Cameron might even not remember this. Oh, no, she will. She probably, she's already grinning. I was a youth pastor, 
and we were having revival. No, it wasn't revival. It was Baptist Men's Sunday. Talk about traditional Baptist church. We had WMU Sunday. We had a Baptist Men's Sunday. We had a Senior Citizen Sunday. We had a Youth Sunday. I, th- I finally realized after about two years of working there, we just have Sundays so the pastor doesn't have to preach. <laughs> I was, I'm, I'm, I'm borderline convinced because I added it up one year, and I, I think I came up with 30. 30 out of 52 Sundays our pastor preached on average when you combined vacation and special Sundays. <laughs> I was so if you're ever wondering why I am the way that I am some of my formative years in ministry were things like that so because I didn't have anything else to do in the service and because it was men's day they need only the men in the choir so they're dragging every warm body with a pulse to put them in the choir who's willing so I'm in a choir robe sitting in the choir and we had a local weatherman as our speaker for the day I am not making this up (laughs) who's what was his first name was it John? It was John Cash. Yes. I, <laughs> yes. John Cash. <sighs> yeah. It was all, luckily I had on a choir robe, so like you couldn't see me making clenched fists, because the entirety of his sermon was every single place in the Bible where God tells his people to be holy. It was 30 minutes of all the places where the Bible tells you to be holy and then getting to the end and telling you to guess what? Guess what, Christian? You know how you should live? You should be holy. See, that's everything that's wrong with the church. And believe me, it was, I'm sitting in the front going, <laughs> you know, about to pop, you know, about to go through the choir robe, you know, because that's the do better. That's the, you see this list? You see when you stubbed your toe and you said that? See, you're a terrible person. Now, now look, am I, a terrible, am I a terrible person? Yes, no, yes I am. I, I will fully admit that I'm a terrible person, and you probably are too. And I'm not going to tell you that's okay, but realize that for that too, Christ has died. Which is why I tell you to celebrate which victories? All of them, because the first thing, mm, yeah, I said it, and yeah, I thought it, and yeah, I'm mad, but you know what my next thought is? Why do I say that when that happens? Mm, that's a victory! Because 20 years ago, I'd have done that and flipped the ottoman and cursed it again! <laughs> So I've told you this before, like we were driving in traffic a couple of years ago on Alpine, because there's never traffic on Alpine, right? (laughs) And we got stopped, I don't know why we were stopped, but we didn't move, we were in between um, Spring Creek and Riverside, and we didn't move, and Connor goes, I wish these idiots would get off the road. I'm like, yes, that's a win, because my kid is repeating the things he's heard me say in the car, and if the worst thing I'm calling these other drivers on the road is idiots, that's progress. And Cameron looked at me, she goes, this is a weird thing to be happy about, but be honest, 15 years ago, would I have said that? She goes, no, no, you would not. See, this is a win. This is a win. We celebrate this and we keep working on things. When we forget that, we make our godliness about us and whether or not we're accomplishing, whether or not we're keeping the list, whether or not we're doing enough. And that's everything that's wrong with the church. Everything that's right with the church is all those verses I just read you. Read them in context. So, um, I'm sorry, first, the context here. Colossians 2, go back one chapter. In them, you also once walked when you were living in them. I'm sorry, that's not Colossians 2, it's Colossians 3. I don't know why I have two written down here. But go back to the first Peter 2, putting aside all malice and deceit. You know what the very next verse is? If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Um, the Galatians 5 one, do you know what the next list after that list of, his, of sins is? It's Galatians 5. What big list does everybody know out of Galatians 5? 
Yeah, the deeds of the flesh are all of that thing, but the fruits of the Spirit are. James 1, I read you, slow to speak. Go back to the beginning of James 1. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously. I'm sorry, I've lost my spot because I was reading the wrong thing. Who gives to all generously and without reproach, and it will be given to him. And we talked about this when we went through James. Every time James says wisdom, read salvation. Because the only reason you'll have wisdom is if you're walking in Christ. The only reason you can think rightly about this world is if you are thinking about it according to Christ. Go back to Jesus himself, John 3. Jesus said to him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Mark 10. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Always remember, the reason they got that twisted is because Despite the fact that the book of Job exists, you know what humanity to this day still likes to believe? That when something bad happens to you, it's because you're a terrible person and God is judging you. And when something good happens to you, it's because you're a good person and God is praising and blessing you. For, for some other reason, we take Santa and Jesus and try to put them together. Wrap your brain around that one. You better be good or else, you know, coal in the stocking, unless you're from the South. Which, by the way, what switches... Seriously, we're going to put beating instruments in your stocking? I thought coal was bad enough, which we actually did that to my uncle one year. <laughs> we stuck coal in his stocking and wrapped up all the stocking presents and stuck them under the tree just for the sheer joy of seeing him open up a stocking full of coal. Yeah, my family's not weird at all. <laughs> the disciples are the same way. When Jesus tells you it's, it's impossible for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, they're like, well, who else can get in? Because if, if the guy who's been blessed by God with every material blessing isn't blessed by God, then what hope do the rest of us have? With people, it is impossible, but not with God, for all things are possible with God. What's the point? Your life, the things that you have gotten, the things that you have not gotten are not a proof of whether or not you're a good and righteous person. Your righteousness is not found in you unless you are found in Christ. Your righteousness is what we call alien to you. It is imputed to you by God. So when you stand before the throne and God goes, well, what makes you so good? Nothing, but I'm his. <laughs> That's my answer. It's the ultimate, I'm with him. Is <laughs> you get to stand before the bouncer and say, I'm with him. And Jesus goes, yeah, he's with me. And the bouncer says, sweet, come on in, have a good day. That's the end of it. If your answer to any of those things starts with, I, mm, do not pass go, do not collect $200, start again. That's everything that's wrong with the church. That's everything that's wrong with the theology. Our hope, our source of joy, our righteousness, and our completed work is found in Christ. And therefore, we are forsaking the things of this world because we are trying so desperately to be that which he has declared us. Because we recognize what is wrong in this place and what is right in his kingdom. Not so that I can get there one day and say, see, look, look at all the stuff that I did. No, 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 no. Look at all the stuff you carried me through. Because you have redeemed me. Because you have brought me to this good place. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. That should be the mindset and that should be the hope. If you get that twisted, you get everything else twisted. You put your source of power in the wrong place. Again, what, what, what do we call it when we take that which should be God's and we ascribe it to somebody else? idolatry. When the place that God should occupy is given to something else, that is idolatry. When you try to say, no, 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 the power for this comes from, that answers anything other than God, you have found your idol, 
go get to the killing part, you know, get the flamethrowers out, do what you need to do so that it is accomplished. Now then, verse 9. Based on that, do not lie to one another. Since you laid aside the old self with its evil practices, and we'll keep going, and have put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Their salvation is true. They have rejected worldly living because they have rejected worldly philosophy because Christ, who is God, has redeemed them and changed them and anchored them upon the truth. Therefore, since they have been saved, they will be sanctified. Which again, when we're talking sanctification, how much progress do we celebrate in sanctification? (laughs) Every little bit. See, people get twisted, especially, especially when you come to church and you have like one of the big sins. So, like, you know, you have some sort of an addiction or you, you know, you know, the big public ones and people look at me and go, well, you know, God didn't just clean me of that one right away. And I know some of you are that annoying person where you're like, no, I got saved and I didn't want to drink ever again. And I got saved and I didn't want to do this ever again. Just know we're all annoyed at you when you whenever you say that. Okay. We still love you, but we are annoyed at you just a little bit. <laughs> Why do we end up doing that though? Because we think in Christ, I'm supposed to be perfect now. Well, you are in heaven. You are in eternity. You are alive, but you are still dead. Dead to the things of this world, which means you have difficulties, you have struggles, and you will have things that you will war against. And some days that victory looks like it's going to move farther along than others. We celebrate all of them because sometimes the fact that you want to fight is the best news. I just woke up today and I, don't, I, don't, I want to war against that sin. Good, good. Be encouraged, be lifted up, pray, go read a Bible book. It'll be good for you. And recognize that that's the work of the Spirit. Because you have been saved, you will be sanctified. Which is why I've always told you, how should you evaluate your life? Don't look at where you are, because you know what happens when you look at where you are? You will find 27,000 ways to tell yourself how bad you are in every avenue of life. No one is a worse critic of a human being than themselves. And if you're not your own worst critic, then you have, you know, narcissism of some kind, and we'll deal with that a different day. I'm not going to tell you that's okay. That's a whole different discussion. There are very few actual narcissists in the world, though. So the, the odds that you're dealing with a lot of those people are slim. And if you are dealing with a lot of those people, then hang out with better people. Okay? Just, just throwing that out there. Just <laughs> Which is why, what's our math equation? For every look at yourself, take 10 looks at Christ. And remember that he has died. That he has risen. That he has redeemed and that you have overcome. And don't look at just where you are now. Look at where you were. This is one of those advice, uh, pieces of advice we give for like if you're trying to lose weight. So if you ever have like a lot of weight lost, a, weight, a lot of weight to lose, like I've done this in my life. I have been multiple times in my life between, as an adult between 206 and 140. I went from 206 to 140 to 180 to 200 to 155, back to 200 to 180. I have done this multiple times. I know how to lose weight, and I know how to gain weight. (laughs) Well, the gaining weight's the easy part. Believe it or not, the losing weight is the hard part, is the easy part as well. It's It's finding the balance in life when you're a personality like mine. That's the hard part. But if you go from, like, over 200 pounds, and your goal is to be 150 pounds, and you get to, like, 170 pounds, you know what you're going to call yourself? Yes. You're going to talk about how fat you are because you still have 20 more pounds to lose and you got 20 pounds to get rid of. Is that how you should look at it? No, look, I lost 30 pounds. Am I done yet? No, but I got work to do. That's how you have to look at your life, Christian. 
Don't look at just where you are. Look at where you're going and look at where you started. Progress. It should look like a good stock market. Don't, don't look at the stock market, kids. <laughs> it should look like a good stock market. What does a good stock market look like? It started over here, and by the end of the year, it should be up there. Now, does that mean it just went straight line, and every day it just gained five points until it, no. Some days, but over time, it got to the top. This is what your sanctification looks like. This is what your walk in Christ looks like. Remember, it's a John Candy road trip. <laughs> but what happens at the end of the movie? They got there. It was a train wreck, but they got there. There might have actually been a train wreck in that movie, wasn't there? <laughs> now everybody's thinking, like, wait a minute. <laughs> now, this is what Paul can encourage the Colossians with because he knows that they are being sanctified. Again, it's what he encouraged the Ephesians with. Um, Ephesians 4. Indeed, you have heard him and have been taught in him, just as truth is in Jesus, that in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness and of the truth. And by the way, remember, you do that because it is a war that you will, not might, will win. 2 Corinthians 4. Having, but having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believed, therefore I spoke. We also believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, so, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, Yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For momentary, light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. By the way, we did this on Wednesday. Realize that when Paul talks about momentary light afflictions... He's talking about people trying to stone him to death. He is talking about people arresting him in Roman courts and beating him within an inch of his life. He is talking about people starting riots and trying to kill him by mob violence. Momentary and light affliction. <laughs> He's basically saying that downtown Minneapolis in July of 2020 was momentary and light affliction. <laughs> Still my favorite news clip of all time is the reporter standing in front of the liquor store that is on fire with flames 40 feet in the air. Some fires have been set, but these are mostly peaceful protests. <laughs> it's like, you know we can see that, right? <laughs> like you, you, it's right, right there. <laughs> yeah, Paul's answer is that's what momentary and light affliction looks like. Why? Because Paul looks at this world in the perspective of the world that is to come. And this is where you can take things like that description in 2 Corinthians 4 and compare it with things like Romans 8, when he talks about the people being killed and they are conquering by dying. Because they're being freed from this world and being faithful unto death and the world cannot shake their testimony. Therefore, they land in the kingdom of God blameless with great joy. There is nothing that can shake them and nothing that can be taken from them. This is the reality in which we walk and live, which is why I tell you to celebrate all the steps because even the ones that you think are impossible and are hard and will never be undone or overcome, for that too, Christ has cast it into the pit. 
It may not be there yet, but what's the end of the book tell you is going to happen to all sin? Not some of it, all of it. Cast into the pit, sent away, and you will stand blameless in the glories of Christ, redeemed, knowing that he has sought you, and he has brought you through. So, verse 11, a renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free man, but Christ is all and in all. I love that because the same victory that was 2,000 years ago that Paul is talking about is the same victory that you're standing in now. The same victory that was for the Jews in Jerusalem at Pentecost is the same one for the Gentiles of the Galatian region, which by the way, it's Asia Minor, modern day Turkey, in case you're looking at the map, is the same redemption for you. No matter who you are, no matter where you have been, no matter what you, language you speak, that it is the same gospel message. Christian, that's an encouragement in the world! They're not so worldly that the Holy Spirit can't reach them. <laughs> believe it or not. I know, I, know, I know how it feels some days, but believe it or not. The weapons that Paul wielded are the same weapons that we should wield, and the success that Paul had is the same success that we can have as we rest in the Holy Spirit. And I did not tell you you will build churches across Asia Minor and that you will become one of the most renowned missionaries in history. I didn't say that. Paul's greatest success, you know what it is? You ready for it? Paul's greatest success is faithfulness. That he could call riots and beatings and stonings momentary and light afflictions, that he could remain faithful unto death. That is Paul's great victory. That is his great example to us. It is not what you accomplish. Who builds the kingdom? The gate. Who will build his church? Paul tell, uh, Jesus tells the, the disciples what? I will build my church. It's the Holy Spirit that changes hearts and minds. It is Christ who is building up his people. You are faithful as you travel, no matter who you are, no matter where you are. John 1, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. That's the hope. That's the walk that we have. Why will it work? Because it's a walk that's been empowered by Christ. It's a walk that has been secured by the work of Christ. And it is a strengthening of the Holy Spirit that cannot be shaken. Any other hope, any other trust, you found your idol, you know what to do. But recognize, Christian, that as you live in this world, that you live for God, you live surrendered to him because it is he that is all in all. Let's pray.